It's snacking and get cracking with a snack that packs a protein punch. Pistachios are known for their protein power, fiber, and better for you unsaturated fats for a combination that may help you keep feeling fuller longer. Wonderful Pistachios is a good source of protein with zero gill. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. I love that they come in a variety of sizes and flavors, making this the perfect protein snack for any on-the-go adventure. Check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more about how these little green wonders can power up your day. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Flow Track Podcast. I'm Liv Ekpone, joined with Ashley Titians. Woo, this has been a wild, wild weekend. Yeah, I feel like we have a lot to talk about on the show today. I know. So mm-hmm. let's go ahead and dive right into it. We have a very special guest who coordinates the elite races at the New York City Marathon. We're going to recap the wild events from the Nutty Comb meet and also pre-Nats. And since World Athletics also released their nominees for the World Athlete of the Year, Ashley and I, we're going to kind of submit our votes as well. But before we dive into everything, we have to thank our wonderful sponsors, Wonderful Pistachios. I must say, Ashley and I, we, we, we have some interns here at the office, and I don't think they've tried pistachios before. No, no. So they tried Wonderful Pistachios, and we completely have demolished, what was that, seasoned salt. Those were way too good, way too oh good. Oh my gosh. And then the salt and pepper one, that bag is... We're, did we finish that bag this No, that morning? bag is still up there. We're, still, we're almost done. We're almost done. So <laughs> those have been our top two flavors, but if you guys are looking for a delicious and nutritious snack that packs a real protein punch, you gotta crack into some good co- source of protein with a tasty, healthy, wonderful pistachios. Each one ounce serving of wonderful pistachios contains six grams of protein giving you over 10% of your daily value. It's one of the highest protein nuts out there on the market, but that is not all. Pistachios are also known for their fiber. They're better for you, unsaturated fats, which may help you keep feeling fuller longer. But that's not the best part. Wonderful pistachios come in variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family, your friends, as you're going in between meetings. If you're with us here with the interns, you're just snacking away here. So whether you're looking to fuel up right before you go out there, Make sure you grab a big bag of Wonderful Pistachios, and that will be your now go-to snack. So check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more about how these little green wonders can power up your day. So thank you so much, Wonderful Pistachios. But Ashley, as we mentioned, we have a very, very special guest joining us. And who do we have joining us? Yes, let us introduce our guest for the show today. We have Sam Grotewald joining us. He is the longtime guy behind all the magic for the New York City Marathon, the Fifth Avenue Mile, as he is the New York Road Runners General Manager of Professional Athletes, and he's the one that coordinates all those elite race fields that you see on TV. And so Olivia and I are super excited to have Sam join us on the show. So thank you again and welcome. Thank you. All of a sudden I have a hankering for pistachios. <laughs> um, That's awesome. So make sure you so grab funny, some. Fun, <laughs> funny, funny story. I was one of the very first people on FlowTrack. Um, this is early, early 2007, and it was the USA Cross Country Championships in Boulder, and they asked me to give my predictions for the, the race. And my predictions were so impossibly wrong that it has been almost seven, almost 17 years since I've been invited back onto your platform. So today feels really good. It feels like I'm out of the doghouse. Oh, yay. Well, we're, we're so happy to have you joining us. So that's awesome. Some redemption for your very wrong, yes. wrong picks many years that's ago. Right. <laughs> try, try not to mess it up this time. <laughs> Well, you know, just first off for, you know, our viewers listening, like I would love to, if you can maybe 
dive in a little bit about some of your running background. I know you ran, I believe, at Simpson College, and so maybe talk a little about that and how that maybe you know put that on your your you know where you are currently with your career. Yeah, thanks. So I became a runner, you know, in high school, um, and I wasn't very good, but I loved it. And uh, I was given the opportunity to to run it at Simpson College in in Indianola, Iowa, as you mentioned. I sort of talked my way uh, onto the team, and and my my coach in college, Keith Ellingson. I mean, he really was the guy who kind of instilled this this love of running and this interest in professional sport uh, in me. So I never look. You can't you can't really major in elite athlete recruiting or anything like that. So, you know, I, I never intended on, on working uh, in the running industry, but um, summer after my junior year of college, I worked as an intern at the Museum of Modern Art in New York, and I got to know New York Roadrunners a little bit. That way, I ran a couple of Roadrunners races. Um, I left the keys to the Museum of Modern Art in the bathrooms at the New York Roadrunner offices. Um, and that's how I got to know Roadrunners. And so then when I graduated, I was kicking around looking for a job. Um, they had a, a a web editor position open and that's that's what i wanted to do i wanted to be in web development so it was this opportunity to kind of marry my interest in running and my love for running with with this thing that i thought was going to be my my career and um that was almost 23 years ago so um it has become something very different since then but yeah that's that's how i got my start started road runners that's so interesting so how did you get started as like the athlete coordinator, I know you just kind of touched on like you wanted to be a web editor. You kind of moved into that back in 2000. You kind of climbed the ladder. But when did that kind of spark to just kind of get started as like the elite athlete coordinator kind of just sparked within you a little bit? One of the things that we did really well, I think, on the website at the time I was working on it at Roadrunners is we, we started covering pro sport, um, both the pro athletes in New York Roadrunner events and then, you know, pro sport sort of globally. And I became known throughout the organization as somebody I think who knew my stuff in that regard. I knew the personalities because I was a competitive runner. I kind of knew, I, I understood the, the athlete mindset. And so we had a, a guy, David Monty, who was working on the pro athlete needs for New York Roadrunners at that time. But it was only two races. It was the, the Mini 10K, the world's original women-only road race, and then it was the, the New York City Marathon. Um, but in 2004, 2005, all these things are happening, um, both inside and, and outside the organization. So in 2004, Meb Kaflesky and Dina Castor both win medals in Athens, right? Um, Meb had been on the podium in New York um, in 04 and 05, Dina won Chicago, I think in 05 and London in 06. So outside of the organization, um, US athletes had gone from this really low moment at the Sydney games to winning Olympic medals and you know establishing themselves on the podium in major big city marathons and perhaps even winning. Um, and then internally at New York Roadrunners, we were talking about bringing back the pro athlete fields at the Fifth Avenue Mile, which had kind of gone away in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, we were talking with this sponsor about creating a new race that eventually became the Healthy Kidney 10K, which was a big pro race we had for, for a number of years. And we were in talks with the city about this massive half marathon on city streets um, that would ultimately become the United Airlines NYC half. And we knew that would have a pro athlete component. So it became it just became too much for David Monty to handle by himself. Um, there were more events and more things to be done at each event. So because I had this interest in this knowledge base in pro sport through my work on the website, 
I seemed like, I guess, a natural fit to slide over and support what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, that was 18 years ago now. So um, the job looked very different then than it does now, but I've been able to sort of build this, this thing and assemble a little team. And, um, and, and that's how we've gotten to this point now in uh, 2023. Awesome. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you've been doing this now for 18 years and it's, you know, the process for building these fields looks, you know, very, you know, some way similar, but also different from, you know, now to what it used to be. Maybe talk a little bit, you know, just exactly like what is that recruiting process like for putting together, you know, an elite, you know, for example, the New York City Marathon, like what does it take to put together a huge elite field like that for the for the marathon? One of the really cool things I think about this sport is that athletes get to have different goals every year, right? So um, an athlete for whom New York City may be a really great and compelling idea one year may not work for them the next. So that's, that's something that always keeps it a little bit varied and fresh is that we get to pursue new ideas every single year. So I really, I really like that. Typically the process begins, um, you know, in the early springtime, around the time of the United Airlines NYC half uh, is when I start talking to athletes about what their goals for the year are. And I start thinking about, okay, how can New York Roadrunners help support those goals or help, you know, help them achieve those goals. Um, and then coming out of the New York City half and you know, and we really get rocking on the marathon, you know, in that, that springtime. And by um, by the time we get out of London and Boston in April, we're, it's pedal to the metal uh, on the marathon and, and, and recruiting those those fields. And then that's all done, you know, in, in the summer sometime, mid, mid to late summer. And we typically announce the fields for the marathon in, in August. This year, it was at the end of August, coming out of the Budapest World Champs. Um, and then that, that group is done. And then we turn our attention to figuring out all their details for, for race week and race weekend. So, um, we kind of, we tend to look at, at these race at the marathon kind of year over year. Um, and you know, it's, I think it's a combination of, uh, what ideas do I think are cool and what sort of athletes do I think I want to see in the race and then finding out along the way that there's athletes who really want to run New York and maybe they're. Um, you know, a good fit for these stories we're trying to tell, or maybe they're, uh, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's something we want to help support. So there are these ideas that come up along the way that we, we try and pursue too. So it's just, you know, everything, these, it kind of comes from everywhere, this group um, uh, that we end up with on the, on the starting line on the first Sunday of November. It almost sounds like a very quick process. Like we're talking, mm -hmm. you know, spring, and then as you mentioned, the, 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 the field is released in August, right after Budapest. Is there a certain number of athletes that you kind of strive for to fill in that race? Or is it just kind of like you're looking for, I guess, quality over quantity, I guess you can say? We, we, don't, we don't have any certain number that we need to hit. Um, and you look at our women's race this year, it's, it's probably the smallest that it's ever been, mm -hmm. but it's, it's super, super top heavy. Right, so right. Um, there's no quota that I'm trying to fill. For every race that we do, there's a number I have in my head where I say, okay, anything bigger than this, I don't know if it's tenable for me and my team, right? Um, and so we end up, at all of our events, we end up turning away way more people than we could ever possibly take just because yeah. I'm cognizant of the fact that every athlete that we put in the race takes a little bit of the service and attention away I can give to everybody else. So right. there is a tipping point, I think, where you want the races to look good on television. You want to have compelling stories and you want people to be excited and go out on the street to watch or watch on ESPN2 or whatever. Um, but also, 
you can't be too big because then it just becomes too much of a strain. And, um, you know, that's where mistakes happen and that's where people don't get the service that they've come to expect from, from our events. So, um, there's no, there's no quota, but I do, I am cognizant of being, um, too big and, and everybody that gets added, you know, just contributes to, um, all of that. From your perspective, what do you think are perhaps some of the the more challenging aspects of putting together, you know, for example, you know, the NYC Marathon Field? Um, you know, I, I as I mentioned as I mentioned a minute ago, I I uh, I turn away way more people than than we take. So you know, my job is saying no a lot, and that's hard. I don't like that. Um, uh, I like. <laughs> I like being the guy that says yes, but, um, you know, sometimes it just, it, it doesn't make sense or it's not a fit for what we're trying to do, or we've got too many people or, or whatever. So, you know, that's something that I have to say no a lot. And I don't, I don't ever like it. I don't ever relish it. And, you know, I hope that I can say no in a nice enough way that, um, you know, athletes understand that it's, it's, it's nothing personal. It's just, it's just business, let's say. So that's, you know, that's that's one of the things about the gig that I think is my least favorite is is you know having to say no to people as as often as I I have to do it. Yeah, and as we know, like the New York City Marathon is a really prestigious race that we all love to enjoy, and it comes towards the end uh, of the season technically. Like it's the fall, it's after Berlin, it's after Chicago. Do you almost feel like there's like a three way competition between races for athletes, and how do you kind of just go about approaching that? Well, I would say that there's enough there's enough athletes to go around, right? There's mm -hmm. there's enough athletes for all three races, and I, I think it depends to some extent on what an athlete's goals are. An athlete who's gravitating towards Berlin or Chicago, their goals are probably really different than an athlete who's gravitating towards New York. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there is there is some um, some competition, I would say, between. Um, those three races, but not just those three races. Valencia uh, in early December is becoming a real player now in, in terms of, of pro athletes who have have a certain goal. Um, so, you know, I I don't think it's any secret that uh, <laughs> most of the world thought Elliot Kipchoge was coming to New York this year, um, but that ended up not aligning with what his his plans and his goals were. And he, he went to Berlin and he was very, very successful there. So, um, there is, I would say, a little bit of competition, but also it's, you know, I, I I want Berlin to be successful and have great athlete fields, and I want Chicago to be successful and have great athlete fields. And I was in Chicago uh, a couple weeks ago, and it was a great race, and I'm I'm super happy for that that team. So I'm also really really pleased about the group that we have coming to New York, and you know, the narrative of our race, and and I'm excited about what I think the race is, how the race is going to play out um, on November fifth. You know, another thing too, you know, even when you do, you know, you put together these elite fields, you announce them in August, you know, there's always that chance that, you know, a few athletes have to, you know, pull out of the race for injury or other various reasons, which I know we've seen a little bit of, you know, this year, you know, with every, you know, major marathon, usually that, you know, that comes with it. And so, you know, how is that another thing that you have to manage from your perspective and how do you, you know, manage that when that happens? Yeah, I mean, look, I, it's, one of the ways I have to look at this is that failure is an inherent part of the marathon, right? Athletes fail to get to the start line because they get injured or sick or whatever. And then athletes fail in the race, fail to finish, fail to meet 
you know, performance benchmarks that we've established. So we, we count on that failure. It's inevitable. So we actually over recruit a little bit, knowing that we'll, we'll drift down to a, a, a size of the group. And, you know, in terms of budget and all that, we'll, we'll drift down to where, where we need to be. Now, this year, you know, there's no, there's no denying it. We, we lost three of the best men in the race. And that was, that was a really rough six days. Um, you, you, you can expend it. You can expect to maybe lose one of those guys in the course of a typical year to lose three of them. Um, you know, that was, that, that, that impacted the race, but it gave us the opportunity to add Tamarat Tola, who's a, you know, two-time world championships medalist and Olympic medalist, um, that we, because he, he failed in another competition that he was supposed to do. You know, he dropped out of the world championships and had he finished there, he probably wouldn't have been available for New York. So, um, you know, failure is, is part of it and we account for that. Um, but it's still, especially when it's more than one person, like it was this year, that's, um, uh, it's, it's, it's worse than, you know, it's, it's more than we expected. And, um, so that's you know, it's just something you have to take in stride and, and deal with. Mm -hmm. As we count down the days to November 5th in New York City, what can the fans and the followers followers expect from this year's field? Well, I, the thing I like about New York every year, but especially this year, is that I don't know who's going to win. I don't know what's <laughs> going to happen, right? You look, at, you look at the women's race, and there's, I would say, seven athletes with a legitimate shot of winning the race. And I don't know... I don't know who it's going to be and I don't know how it's going to play out. And we may not know who's going to win that race until the final 400 meters, right? Yeah. Given how, how New York often plays out. Mm -hmm. Men's race, same thing, probably five, six, seven guys um, who, who might win that race. So that's what I think is really cool and compelling about New York is that you don't know how it's going to play out. It's not set up for one person to try and break a record or something like that. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's a race and we don't know who's going to win this race typically until very, very late stages. So that's, that's always what um, you know, I think resonates best with our fans and spectators out on the course, what resonates best with our television viewing audience um, is they wanna see a race and head-to-head -head competition. And, and I think that's something that we do really well in New York. And you know, a couple of weeks from now uh, on race day, I don't, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I can't, I can't wait to find out. That's right, I know we're excited too to figure yeah. out what happens on that day. You know, you've been in this for so long, you've been around the marathon for so long. What is your favorite like New York City marathon memory or of sorts or you know something you can point back to that you you, were, you remember really well you know very fondly? So I started at Roadrunners in December of 2000 and that was 2 months after the Sydney Olympic Games and um, you're probably too young to remember but at the Sydney Olympic Games we sent the United States sent one man and one woman uh, in, into the marathon there because of the the qualifying rules in, in place at the time. And I would say that that period of the late 90s that kind of led up to that was probably the low moment um, of, of U.S. marathoning. Um, so in 2000, there were a bunch of groups. Keith and Kevin Hansen uh, were, were one. Um, what, what was then known at the time as, as, as Team Running USA was another. New York Roadrunners was a third who kind of looked at, looked at all that and said, okay, this, this can't happen again. And so all those groups worked together, but also separately to um, ensure that, you know, first of all, encourage people to encourage kids to stay in the sport even after graduating college and gather these critical masses of, of athletes all training together and, you know, towards a, towards a common goal. Um, and that really hadn't been done 
uh, until the early early 2000s. And so, um, you know, Meb and Dina winning medals in in 2004 in Athens um, was this sort of validating moment that all this work that these groups had done was paying off. So then when Meb won New York City in 2009, he finished on the podium a few times, but when he finally won um, in 2009, that was a really validating moment um, and kind of this culminating thing because it was something that we've been working on for, for a decade, right? And Dina, Dina, of course, won Chicago and London a little bit earlier than that, but uh, since we're talking about New York City Marathon memories, you know, Meb's, Meb's win in 2009 was particularly special because, because it was this, this culmination of something that, that, that a lot of people had been, been working towards for, for the better part of the decade. I love that. Well, Sam, before we let you go, we have one final question. I feel like Ashley and I always ask this question to our guests, but I'm going to make it. In a variety it of forms. In a variety yeah. of forms. So when it comes to just watching the sport, do you prefer watching track, cross country, half marathon, marathon? Road running. Road yeah. running. What do you prefer to watch and why? I, I think that, you know, hmm, I, I love it all. <laughs> and I'll go to a... Uh, you know, I have a high school down the street. I'll go and just stand outside the fence and watch watch track practice like a creep because I love, <laughs> you know, I love it all. Um, I, uh, you know, track, because you're in this, on this 400 meter oval and in this enclosed stadium, that's kind of made for, for TV, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of opportunity, I think, with, with televised track meets. You can get a track meet. You can have an awesome track meet. We saw the Diamond League final in, in two hours uh, of television. Um, when when done right, marathon broadcasts are, are super compelling and interesting, but that takes a huge investment in cameras and and producers who know what they're doing to send cameras back to chase packs and things like that. So it's it's trickier and more expensive to pull off. But when it's done well, that's really fun and compelling and cool too. And I think in New York, you know, our team, our broadcast team does a really great job and, and kind of understands how to build a compelling narrative as the race is is, is unfolding. Um, so I'm really proud to be a you know a part of of, of that that um, a place where I think marathon broadcasting is done really, really well. So I haven't answered your question specifically, but I think, um, you know, when it's done well, marathoning is really cool, but, but track is this, this venue and this, and this compressed timeline that I think really lends itself well to uh, compelling, compelling TV. Incredible. Well, Sam, thank you so much for your time today. And Ashley and I, like I said, we'll, we'll be in New York City. So we'll see you when we land and we're wishing you all the best as the weeks kind of unfold a little bit more. Thank you, Sam. I'll, I'll look for you in, in town in a few weeks. Thanks so much. Yes. Thank Thanks, you. Sam. All right, you guys, what an awesome interview with Sam. We're going to kind of dive into what took place over the weekend because there's just so much to unpack. So yeah. let's start off with Nutty Comb, and I think we need to highlight, I think, the race that really had all the eyeballs on it. And yeah. it featured Parker Valvey versus Caitlin Tui. Pretty much we've seen it. Last year at NCAAs, these two young, talented ladies going after it. This time, it had a different outcome. But Ashley, from your perspective, like, what? How did you see this race unfolding? And are we surprised by how Parker Valby of Florida just attacked this course? Yeah. So let's break this down here. Obviously, this you know, Parker Valby and Caitlin Tui making their season debuts here at Nutty Comb. So much hype around this, you right. know, because. They've been, you know, the two top ladies for quite some time, you know, dueling it out. You know, we remember what happened last year at NCAAs in Stillwater. Yeah. So we come to Nuttycomb, right? And, you know, you're, you're curious, what, you know, well, how's it going to unfold? 
Parker used the same approach that she took last year at NCAAs in Stillwater, but this time, Olivia, it, it worked. It yeah. worked on the day. You know, she, like we saw last year at NCAAs, she, Valby's one who's going to take it out hard and put pressure on the rest of the field to say, hey, if you want to beat me, you're going to have to come catch me. And, you know, if you look at what happened in this race, about two or so miles in, I believe, right before the 4K mark, Valby started dropping Tui. You know, Tui really tried to go with her when Valby went, you know, really hard early on, but she just, you know, in the rain and the wind, it was Valby that held on strong, and then she would go on to clock a nuttycomb course record there, which, you know, especially in that kind of weather was pretty crazy. So, I just I think it was very interesting to watch all that unfold. What are yeah. your thoughts? Are we surprised by it though? Like Parker literally, I felt like ran the same race strategy that she did in Stillwater. Does it come to a surprise that the outcome may have been different? Did you are you I mean, surprised? I guess not necessarily because you know even though Valby got second in that race at NCAA, she still ran a phenomenal race. Too, we just had like this this whole other gear, you know, like she had that grit, like I'm going to catch her and no one's going to deny me. Like that's, you know, I don't think that necessarily her winning here now with that same tactic comes as a surprise. And, you know, these two athletes still ran phenomenally, I think. Oh, absolutely. um, No, it really doesn't come as much of a surprise. I think it was just incredible just kind of watching it back like Valby never took her foot off the gas. Like there was not one part where it was like her... Her tempo, her cadence, her rhythm changed. Yeah. Despite all the hills that she was having to endure and climb and come down, she remained consistent. And I was super impressed by how Parker was able to execute that race. And as you mentioned, Caitlin Tui, I think we were very like excited for this because we're like, when is Caitlin Tui opening up? And it just so happened to be her versus Valby one more time. And I felt like Caitlin ran well. Um, oh, absolutely. I, she yeah. did a phenomenal job, and I, I kind of expected Caitlin to be up there with Valby. And there was another athlete from Stanford, I believe, that was um, in the mix as well, very beginning. Um, it just, I think it gave us a, a glimpse of what Parker is capable of doing as we move. Yep. Like, we have literally one month, I think, from until last NCAAs. week. Yeah. yeah, until NCAA. So Parker pretty much just gave you. It on a here's plate. Here's the playbook. Here's the here's playbook. The playbook. Right? <laughs> and here's what I'm doing. I'm going all gas, no brakes. Yeah. And, and I catch think me if you can. Now that's, you know, not just Tui, but like a lot of those other top contenders. Like I didn't think in like, you know, Elise Stearns from NAU, like a lot of those other ladies that were, you know, kind of in that chase pack back there that are going to be contenders at NCAAs in a month. Like I think you look at, you got to go back and look at this race and be like, all right, if Valby does the same thing, which you can probably expect she probably will do at Panorama Farms in Charlottesville at NCAAs, how are they going to respond? You know, is it going to be the same as last year where she goes out and then two is the one that challenges her and everyone else just moves up a little bit, you know, the chase pack along as well? Or do they not let Valby be alone at the front and decide to go out hard with her knowing that, you know, it can become interesting at the end? I don't know how to take Valby down right now. Like, one of my questions is, is there anyone that can do this? One. But two, how do you approach running NCAAs now? Like, I feel Valby just looked amazing and strong, which is scary to think. And the effort that she put into it, running a 9.17, and she took two seconds off the meet record held by Ali Ostrander, who's a phenomenal athlete at Boise State back in 2015 when she ran 19.19. 
I don't know how, how to take down Parker Valby. I think the only way to do it is you, you, have, to, you have to play her game. You have like, to go out with her. And, you have to yeah. go out with her and pray that your legs can sustain. <laughs> That's the thing. The That's speed, the, thing. the pressure, all of that. Mm-hmm. And then you got to be in her you own dr- game. That's you what have, you have to do. Yes. Yeah. I, I agree. So you I can't hang this, tight because she's gone. Parker's no, going to be gone. No. I, so I think this really sets up like just so much anticipation for what's going to come at NCAAs, at regionals. It's going to be interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, to kind of wrap up the top three in the field, you had Tui coming in at 1929, Kels- Kelsey Chimmel, her teammate, 1952. And then it was just kind of the rest of the pack on the ladies' side. But let's kind of shift gears and let's talk about the men's side now. Uh, Harvard's Graham Blanks stole the show. That's yes. all I have for this. He it's did. like He did <laughs> his thing. So what are your takeaways from Graham's Yeah, so Graham Blanks of Harvard, he comes away with the win here. Again, rainy, really tough conditions, but he grits it out for the win. You know, looking at what he did last year at Nuggie Comb. Yes, yes. Blanks was 26 overall, 23-31 for 8K. Now, this year he finishes first, running 23-23 in much worse conditions. Mm. And so that's pretty impressive to me. You know, Blanks is one where... We all expected him, I think, to be one of those top guys in the NCAA field who's going to contend for a national title, and he's undefeated on the year. I believe he won a battle at Beantown to start off yes. the season earlier, and so now he has Nutty Comb, a premier one underneath his belt. I think this is, you know, obviously a huge statement for him, taking down people like Nico Young, Drew Bosley, Parker Wolf, you know, all those guys that he's going to be up at the front with at NCAAs, and so right. very impressed here with his performance. And then... I know you just mentioned Nico Young. Like, he debuted similar to how uh, Caitlin Tui was finishing second there, 23-26. But alongside that, Blanks took down the defending champion, Kai Robinson, who finished fourth with a 23-26. I was just very impressed by how Blanks, this top group here and how they ran. It was kind of like a nice little pack that they had going on. They just executed it very well. And as you mentioned, like, Blanks ran under worse conditions this weekend than the previous year faster. and he still ran faster mm-hmm. so does this put blanks in another tier in regards to when we move into regionals oh, absolutely and, i mean like you know, when, you, when you're taking down the kind of caliber of athlete that he is that um you know i think that obviously puts you in that top sphere i'm going to drop this little plug for you if a you plug. guys don't know athleticians she's a huge huge North Carolina fan. Yes, I am. Well, Let's talk about your guy. The, the state, because I'm state. from North Carolina. So. Let's talk about your guy, Rocky Hansen. I think that's He's another a big, big storyline yes. from the weekend. I mean, what has this guy been doing? Like, <laughs> he, what did he finish at UVA Invitational? Finished top 10. I believe he finished 7th, I believe, at UVA to open up the season. I believe so, yeah. And then here at Nettycomb, he finishes 6 overall, 23-27. I mean, he beat Drew Bosley. I mean, he beat a lot of guys. Like, that's just... For a true freshman, you know, first year, not a red shirt, I think that's very impressive. And again, he was only, I believe, four seconds back from the winner from Blinks. Because, you know, the top 14, they were all, the, the top 14 all finished within a 10 second span. That's incredible. To it's me. wild. And when you look at the official results, like he moved up eight places. Like he was trucking. That's how, that's how you run a cross country <laughs> race. You know, you're picking off the guys at the end. Like sometimes that's, that's the motivation oh my gosh. you need. So. So, shout out to Rocky Hansen, 
I know you, I, that's why I dropped the plug because Rocky Hansen's from North Carolina. Correct. So we're super impressed with the freshmen. Let's kind of move now into the team aspect and how does this kind of shape up NCAAs as we mm -hmm. move forward? Let's talk about the men's side uh, in regards to Nutty Comb. I. I feel like it was kind of expected. Like we were yeah. expecting NAU men to do their things. I was not surprised. They went with 76 points. They were second, eighth, 12, 25th, 29th. And even their sixth and their seventh runners were in the top 50, 33rd and 43. And I'm not surprised by this at all. Oh no, not at all. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like look at, look at how they place. You know, you have Nico Young and Drew Bosley both there in the top 10. And then you go 12, 25, 29 to round out your top five scoring squad. I mean, again, there's no there's no question about it. I expected them to come tonight to come to win. They get the win here. Now, I know we mentioned on the last podcast, last year they finished third mm -hmm. at Nutty Combe. So maybe they're like, all right, we got to get this win. Like, we can't lose again to Stanford, BYU. Those are the two teams they lost to last year. And so, I mean, they won not just by a little bit. I mean, they won dominantly. Yeah. It's, gonna be, it's hard for me to now see or say, that anyone can challenge them right now. Right. And I'm almost thinking, what do you improve on? Like, where do you go from here? Like, I know, obviously, at the end of the end of the day, you're going for the national title. But, like, in between that, what do you think NAU is going to uh, be focusing on? I would on? say four and five, you improve that spread there. Because yeah. if you look at Nutty Come, they went 2, 8, 12, 25, 29. You move up that 25 and 29 closer to your third guy there. There you go. Awesome. So we're moving up the, the second half of that. And I think, honestly, the biggest surprise is, out of this, is the NAU teams swept. The woman took down NC State. The defending champions, NAU had an insane day. Oh, yeah. And I think the woman really, I don't want to say I'm surprised, because we all went into this, like, NC State is the team. And I think NAU really showed up. And they were like, okay, we know NC State's going to be running. Caitlin Tui's going to be on the field. Where do we stack up against the Wolfpack? And they were able to get all of their scores in the top 18, which, honestly, that helped them a lot, finishing 4th, 8th, 10th, 12th, 18th. And even their their 6th and 7th runners, 24th and 44th, looked Great. Again, finishing in the top 50. What are your thoughts on just NAU women and how they looked at Nunnicom? Yeah, you know, like, I, I believe, I mean, I, I think, I think we've talked about this before. Like, NAU, we thought the women, like, this, this was their, this is their year to run after, you know, for national title. I think we probably discussed this toward the beginning of the season off, off the air. Mm -hmm. And to Nuttycomb, they just showed their depth. That spread from one through five, four, eight, 10, 12, 18, that's, Phenomenal. And, you know, for the best teams to compete at NCAAs, like, that's what you're going to need. You know, you're going to need that, you know, all your top five people packing up together and being able to run consistently up near each other at the front. Like, that is how you win a national title. And they, sh they showed that at Nutty Comb. And yeah. I will say, though, like, NC State, still such a talented team. You know, right. I think it's, it's worth mentioning that they were missing – you know, some key players here. They're missing Amaris and Brooke Robber, and yeah. uh, I believe Sam Bush was a DNF in this race. And so, you know, if if that whole team is healthy, they're by far, you know, like they're they're still the ones to beat. You know what I mean? I like love that, yeah. Because um, you still have Caitlin. You still have Kelsey Camille. Like Those are going to be your two solid leaders. And then 
Um, you know, if you get back some of those, you know, if you by conference, if you have some of those athletes back, and then you know, same for their, you know, Leah Stevens and Grace Hartman, their freshmen, if they're still running well as well. Like the Wolfpacker, there's no need to panic, you know. Like I, I just, think that's the the, the are real you thing. in my brain right now because I was just about to ask you, or not even ask. I was going to, but then I'm listening to to your thoughts. I'm like, Ashley's not panicking. I'm not panicking about no. NC State. I still feel like they're still the heavy favorite. I mean, if, they they know how to win a title, you know. Yeah. Like they they're champions for a reason, and um, you know, Coach Hennis, you know, has that crew, you know. They know what to expect going forward now that we get to conference regionals, NCAAs. And again, if you have that full squad together, they're definitely still going to, like, there's no need to say they aren't going to win. Like, oh my gosh, like, there's no need to overreact. Okay, so now with all of that being said, let's just say we're fast forwarding, fast forwarding a month from now. NC State's lining up. They have, everyone's healthy. Everyone's good. Do you count out NAU for this team title? Or are they still no. contenders? Oh, I, th- I feel like it could be close. I'm going to say it's going to be close. Who has the upper hand? I don't know. <laughs> Actually, I think NAU looked very strong. I'm going with the defending champs. All right. I feel like because they know how to perform under pressure, and like you said, they know yeah. how to win a title. Not saying NAU does not know because obviously they've had the history in their program of winning titles. Yeah. Right now, I think NC State still has the upper hand. I feel that way. So I'm saying NC okay. State. I'm I like that. It. I like that. I think it's going to be competitive. That's all I'll say. It'll be competitive. <laughs> I love it. All right. Now let's kind of switch gears and let's talk about pre nats and yes. what did we learn? And I feel like we learned a lot <laughs> when it comes yeah, to pre nats. So what did what did you learn specifically? Now, I'll first off and say this, you know, pre-nets, you know, most, I would say most of the top teams in NCAA went to Nuttycomb, but you still had a lot of the top teams competing at pre-nets, but we learned, I think we learned a lot of things individually and team-wise. Mm-hmm. I'll start with my point A. I've broken this down into a couple points. Wait, how many points? Three? Four? Two. But with, they have sub-points as well. Oh. So, <laughs> let's start with point <laughs> A. Point A. Okay. I think we have some dark horse individuals. I can agree that I think have risen to the challenge that could certainly be All-Americans when it's all said and done. Okay. Because let's look at who won these races here on the women's and men's side. On the women's side, you have Carmen Alder. I remember this name. I I competed against her in high school. There's videos out there, I'm sure. (laughs) She was 203rd at NCAAs last year from BYU. She comes back. She wins pre-nats this year as BYU's top runner. 1936 for 6K. Liv, that is almost a minute off her previous 6K PR, and, uh, which was 2023 from 2022. So 1936, that is legit at a course like Panorama Farms. Awesome. Definitely someone, especially when you're you know, BYU's top runner like she was at pre-nats, you're going to be challenging for All-American honors. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at the men's sign, you have Ben Shearer of Arkansas. He also sets a new 8K PR. Again, similar to Nuttycomb, not quite as bad, but you know, still rainy there as well. Um, he ran 22.55 to win pre-nats and was, if you look at what he did last year at NCAAs, he was 155th. So you have two individuals who go into pre-nats. Yeah. Very much improved and come away with some wins. I love it. Okay, let's stick to individuals real quick. Mm-hmm. Amanda has a video we're about to drop because <laughs> this is what I have learned from pre-nats. Jenna Hutchins is back. Yes. And I am so... <laughs> Pumped for this. When I was looking at the results, y'all, 
Jenna Hutchins, in case you don't know, is the 5K national high school record holder and became the first girl and the only girl so far in high school history to break 16 minutes for 5K. Here in this amazing clip that we have, she went 15.58 at the Running Lane Cross Country Championships back in 2020. So for me, I've been kind of waiting for Jenna Hutchins. I'm a huge Jenna Hutchins fan. She's kind of been underneath the radar for some time now. And this season, she's been putting races together that have been very consistent, especially in the BYU uniform. And she broke 20 minutes and finished fifth with a 19.58. So I was super pumped to see Jenna Hutchins' name finishing, yes. finishing in the top five and doing great things in contributing to the BYU yes, team. Yes, because if you look at what she did last year in the fall, only ran twice. She finished yeah. 26 um, at the Rep Cross cross Classic, and then she you know, finished toward the back of the, at the Cowboy Jamboree. So to see her back and healthy, and she's out here running, and not only running, but just like running well, like you, know, you saw when she was a high schooler, I yeah. think that's super encouraging for BYU, especially as you know, they're fighting for a team title as well. Like I think that's something super exciting so I, I definitely agree there that you know seeing Hutchins there at, at the front that's a big storyline awesome okay now let's go to your second my second point your second point because my my second point ties in with your second point so we're kind of oh, okay so we're kind of right ahead. there okay yes my second point point B both the BYU women and the Arkansas men have showed that they belong within the top I would say three to five teams or so contending for NCAA team titles this November yeah Let's look I agree. At, let's look at the top five for each of these teams. So for the BYU women, they go one, five, seven, nine, and ten to win pre-NAS by nearly 60 points. I mean, when you're putting your top five all within the top ten, that's insane. So, you know, right there that shows they have, as we've always seen with BYU women, they have that chemistry, they have that, you know, some of that pack running together. Like, that's going to be key for them. Awesome. And then if you look at the Arkansas men, too, they went 1, 3, 5, 6, and 20. They also win by just about 60 points. And so, again, when you have, you know, that kind of spread for your top five, it's, you know, I think that's, I mean, that's elite. That's, again, how you win NCAA championships. If you have your fifth guy passing some other teams, you know, third runners or something like that, like, that's when you know you are a title contender. Yes. I, it's not very often that we see... A program I mean men and women programs together have their teams all within the top five on both sides we're seeing that with NAU and we're seeing that with BYU and mm -hmm. I feel like specifically on the woman's side with them going into this weekend being the fourth ranked team it shows that they deserve to be in the mix and they are oh, yeah. going to be in the mix and they have proven that and I'm excited to see what they can do with one month to go towards the national championships. Now, I know you just mentioned Arkansas. I'm going to be kind of on the woman's side of it. I'm a huge Peyton Noe fan. And the fact that as a freshman, like true freshman, I remember seeing her in San Diego last yeah, year, yeah. finishing third at the Champ Sports Cross Country, Cross Country Nationals. The week before that, she was 10th at NXN. So this is an individual that knows how to compete. She knows how to be an All-American. Um, just looking at the high school level, and I feel like she's had a great start to being a Razorback this year, finishing third with a 1949, and helped lead Arkansas to a second-place team finish right behind BYU. So don't count out Arkansas. Don't count out BYU. It's this me answered a lot of questions.
answered a lot of questions. Answered a lot of questions. I learned a lot from from. We, I feel like I learned a lot this weekend. Yeah, we did. Yeah, this was great. Just scrolling through the results, learned a lot. <laughs> I love it. Okay, before we let y'all go, we got to discuss what World Athletics dropped. They dropped their men's and women's athlete of the year, and this is an opportunity where we can vote. And so. I'm curious to see who Ashley picked as the men athlete of the year and the woman athlete of the year. So let's start with the men first. And I know we have this amazing graphic that Ashley actually made. These are the, the nominees. But just looking at this list, Ashley, who would you vote as the athlete of the year here? Well, here you go. You have some heavy hitters here. Just looking at the list, you have Niraj Chopra, Ryan Krauser, Mondo Duplantis. Sufayn El-Bakale, Jakob Ingebrigtsen, Kelvin Kiptum, Pierce Lepage, Noah Lyles, Alvaro Martin, little Tadis Tenglo, I definitely butchered that, and Carson Warhol. Mm -hmm. I made my pick and now I'm like kind of doubting my pick. <laughs> Do you want me to go first? Yeah, can you go okay, first? Okay, I'm going to go first with my pick. I picked Noah Lyles. I love... Why? I, Why? I'm about to explain. <laughs> I love Noah Lyles. I feel like this guy just had the year. The year of his life. Three golds at Worlds. Three. Three, Ashley. Three. 983 in the 100. Completely dominated the 200-meter field with a 1947. He's going after Usain Bolt's record. I know he didn't hit it. I have all the faith that Noah Lyles can do it. He's been undefeated in all the 200-meter finals. All six of them in 2023. He was the runner-up in Eugene in the Diamond League final and recorded three of the four fastest times during the whole entire year in history. I'm just throwing that out there. Noah okay. Lyles okay. has my vote. So you're going to vote on Twitter or whatever it is? Yes. Okay. Noah Lyles. Did that uh, persuade get, yeah. you? Okay, I guess Did I that persuade that. you? <laughs> I don't know if it Again, I don't feel confident with my pick now. Okay, who do you who I, I wrote you down Jakob. I like Jakob, though. Because, okay, if you look at it, right, he set, he technically set two world records. I mean, they were at off distances that are never competed, really. I believe it was the... Hey, a world record? Two mile in the 2 It's a world record. And he set the third fastest, I believe, 1500 of all time at Prefontaine. Yes. I mean, he did lose the 1500 at Worlds, but that was, like, his only loss yeah. of the year. So I feel like that was dominant. However, I will make... I also have another case... For Kelvin Kipta. Okay. You know, he set the world record in the Chicago Marathon. We've never seen, you know, in standard legal marathon conditions, anyone go under 201. He runs 205.35. Incredible. And then he also won the London Marathon, too, earlier this year in one of the, you know, top, a top five, like, fastest time ever. Yeah. And that was in the rain. So I feel like maybe some of that history behind it can maybe put Kelvin Kipta as the winner as well. There are a lot of good nominees. There's, I'm also it's looking tough. at this again. Mondo. Mondo. Ryan Krauser. Ryan Krauser. What he did at Worlds. Just unbelievable. The blood, the blood, blood clot. clot. Like. I can tell you something. I'm, I ain't throwing if I have a blood <laughs> clot. So. <laughs> Neither would I. I would be, I would be too nervous mm -hmm. to do more damage. But lots, he, of, lots of good nominees. I love the nominations for mm -hmm. the men's set. Okay. So your final answer is. Who I guess voting? I'll say Jakob. Wow, that sounded so <laughs> confident. I guess I'll go Jakob. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. It is a tough one. All right. Well, let's talk about the ladies' side. I have a lot to talk about with this one. We have a Can we talk about... Okay. Amanda, would you mind throwing up the graphic? 
Actually, who who do we have nominated here? Okay, we have Tangis Sefa from Kabul, Sharika Jackson, Faith Kipyegon, Haruka Kataguchi, Yaroslava Mahuchik, Maria Perez, Gudaf Sagai, Shakari Richardson, Yolamar Rojas, and Winfred Yavi. Can I say one thing? Can we acknowledge the elephant in the, in the room? Why is Hassan's name not on this? Yeah. I is that, that the was, elephant in the yeah, room? Yeah, that's the elephant in the room. Where is Hassan? I was Hassan? like scrolling. I was like, where is Hassan? It made on me a little sad. It made me sad. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> look at what she did this year. She wins the London Marathon in her debut marathon. She had to stop and walk at points and still won. <laughs> then she goes to Budapest. She triples. She, she ran a marathon that has the speed to go medal in the 1500 at Worlds. Runs the 5K and the 10K. And then six weeks later, she runs the second fastest marathon ever, ever to win Chicago. She's two for two for marathons this year. Her only marathons. It would have been the fastest marathon ever if not for Estefa at Berlin. What does she have to do? What else does she have to do? What else does Hassan have to do? Like, I I was kind of mind blown to not see her name on there. What she has yeah. done, and no discredit to anybody else on the list, because no, I feel agree. like they just, all- Just add her onto the add list. Add her on, add her. you know, yeah. Yeah. put her on it. And I feel like everyone has acknowledged that as it's well. It's been on the, you know me, I'm always scrolling yes, through the you're, you're in the loop. I'm in the loop. It's a, it's a thing. Yeah. People are like, what's up? Goodness gracious. Anyways, okay. we, we addressed the elephant in the room. Thank we, you. We shared our opinions. Okay. So with all of that being said, based off the nominations that we have, who is your pick? I feel like we're very in sync with I'm, this one. I believe we picked the same person. Yes. <laughs> I, I Drum roll! Who did we pick? Thank you, Yay! I mean, that's hard to deny what she's done. Like Absolutely. 1,500-meter world record. She had the 5K world record before Sagai broke it at Prefontaine. Yep. She won both events at Worlds. Her only loss for the entire year, I believe, came at the World Road Running Championships. Just dominant all season long in like a, in a very historic way. You know, when she set those world records, they came within like the same week, which yeah. is insane. And, you know, I think just there's, we haven't seen anything like that, at least on the women's distance side, like something that dominant and that fast in a long time. And so I definitely, Faith gets my vote. Ashley pretty much summed it up why I'm voting for Faith. Just absolutely remarkable. You're technically, as you mentioned, would have gotten three world records, which absolutely insane. Yeah. Remarkable. Remarkable. Yeah, she's, she's the GOAT. She's the GOAT. She is the GOAT. I think on every little thing I ever tweeted or anything ever, there's always a GOAT emoji. GOAT emoji. Mm -hmm. And rightfully so. All right. Well, that does it for this episode on the Flow Path. Low Track Podcast. This is episode 641, which is remarkable to think how many episodes. We would not be here if it wasn't for y'all. So thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, please rate us on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we Subscribe appreciate that. Subscribe to YouTube. Thank y'all. Um, and also stay tuned for this weekend. going to drop this little plug. Uh, the Gulf South and the GLIAC Cross Country Championships are going on this weekend. Um, but Ashley and I will be here next week. Got some great things up our sleeves. So we'll see you guys very soon and have a great rest of your week.